You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. when they Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 14. Today's reading is from John, chapter 21, verses 14 through 25. At that time Jesus revealed himself to his disciples, and after he was raised from the dead, and he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. And after this he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw following them the disciple whom Jesus loved, who had lain close to his breast at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the word went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness to these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things which Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So the first question I have, Father, is is about um, the significance of Jesus asking Peter this same question, do you love me, three times. That's a common question people have about this passage, and I think the answer is twofold. I'd begin by noting that it's only in John's Gospel that we have this exchange between Jesus and Peter, and I'll mention the significance of that later. Uh, In the meantime, the very simple answer is this. Jesus asks Peter three times if Peter loves him because Peter had earlier denied him three times. So here at the end of John's Gospel, the threefold repetition restores Peter. Uh, Again, this is the only Gospel where we hear about this story, but it's clearly related Uh, to the threefold denial earlier in the gospel. Okay, so that raises a couple of other issues I'd like to discuss. And first, you pointed out uh, twice already that the story that I read today is only found in John's gospel. Why is that significant to you? It's significant because I I think the other gospels, uh, which do not include this story, include one uh, that's not included in John's gospel. Uh, Specifically, they include a story of a Simon of Cyrene who ends up carrying the cross of Christ. Uh, Personally, and and some uh, scholars agree, uh, and this is just a personal opinion I'm noting, uh, I think those Gospels are using Simon of Cyrene as a sort of uh, stand-in, if you will, for Simon Peter. 
I see. That, that's an interesting theory. Why do you think it's significant or, or of any importance? Yeah, great question. Uh, the only reason I bring it up is because I think it does have importance. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to bring up uh, Simon of Cyrene otherwise in these other Gospels. Uh, obviously, you, you can see there's a connection uh, with the name Simon si- between Simon of Cyrene and Simon Peter. Uh, the Cyrene part could be of significance because Cyrene was a region in Libya uh, that had been uh, a hotbed during some of the Jewish rebellions where they rose up against the occupation of the Roman army. So again, it's just another example of the New Testament underscoring how Jesus' rebellion is different than all the other messianic figures. Uh, Specifically, his rebellion is not one of violence, but of converting the enemy to the peaceful gospel message and sitting with them at the same table of fellowship before the merciful Lord who has overlooked not only uh, your sins, but theirs as well. And then, of course, you have the fact that Simon uh, of Cyrene is carrying the cross. Uh, This is what Simon Peter had not wanted to do earlier when he denied Jesus, uh, when he had tried to cut off the soldier's ear when Jesus was arrested, Uh, later on when he had issues with Paul about uh, the circumcision of the Gentiles and so on. Uh, It all comes back, uh, at least according to St. Paul, to Peter's hesitancy to accept this radical way of the Messiah, which was to convert your enemy to the gospel, and not to force your culture, your customs, and even the fine details of your Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, on the Gentiles, which comes back again, uh, according to Paul, to Peter not wanting to, quote, carry the cross of Christ. And you have Jesus telling his disciples, whosoever comes after me must take up his cross and follow me. Uh, So again, in John, you have the restoration of Peter in this exchange uh, that you read today. But this exchange is not to be found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Uh, Conversely, then, as I mentioned earlier, John does not have the story of Simon of Cyrene. Uh, So to sum it up, uh, I view these as complementary stories of Simon Peter being restored, and he is restored by taking up the cross of Christ, uh, leaving behind the way of Cyrene, that way of the military rebellion, and following Christ. That's very interesting, Father. I've, I've never heard of this type of reading of Simon of Cyrene, but you do make a compelling argument. And it certainly fits into what we had discussed before about the road to Emmaus story. Yes, I agree. Moving back to the story in John, you mentioned that Jesus asking Peter, do you love me three times, was significant for two reasons. And you'd already indicated one reason is because he had already denied Jesus three times. What's the second uh, aspect that you wanted to highlight? Well, so many Orthodox Christians especially uh, seem to think that every time we say or do something, Uh, three times, it's because of the Trinity, but I don't think that's usually accurate. Uh, Certainly not accurate when it comes to the Bible, which was written uh, 300 plus years before the doctrine of the Trinity was uh, fully developed. Uh, So while I'm not in any way criticizing uh, the doctrine of the Trinity uh, by making that statement, I'm simply pointing out that we should not read that uh, doctrine back into the New Testament. Yes, I've I've heard that explanation before in in general terms and sometimes in relation to things that we do in services. But what is the significance then of Jesus doing this three times? Well, in many ancient languages, uh, you don't just have singular and plural like we have today in English. You have a singular, dual, and then plural. Uh, think about it in terms of an argument you're trying to settle. You know, if you have one person, they can have 
their own opinion. It's no big deal. They can do whatever they want. But, of course, society, when you're talking about languages, you have to think about society. Uh, society is not just a bunch of individuals who can do what they want all the time. Uh, two people, you know, you might have disagreements, so you, you have no resolution when it's just two people disagreeing with one another. But when you turn to the third, uh, you can break the tie. And so in civil institutions and so forth, you might have, say, you know, like we have on the Supreme Court, you have nine judges, which is an odd number, so there's not a tie. Uh, but the basic fact stands that once you get to three, or what I said earlier, which is the plural in many ancient languages, uh, everything beyond three is just an extension of that. It's just a continuation of the plural. So in literature, and specifically in the Bible, when you have something tripled, uh, it's done to show a certain sense of assuredness. Uh, if someone does something not once, not twice, but three times, uh, then they're indeed doing that. It's not just a slip-up. It's not a slip of the tongue or an accident. Uh, in the case of Simon Peter, uh, he denies Christ earlier in the Gospel three times, and that signifies that it was a full denial. It wasn't just a slip-up or an accident on his part. Uh, likewise, then, Jesus here uh, asking him three times, do you love me, indicates a restoration by Jesus, and a full restoration at that. And keep in mind, we, we need to remember that the Gospels were written after the Epistles, and most scholars consider John uh, to be the final Gospel when you're talking chronologically, so it would have been written long after Peter actually denied Christ. But also, uh, long after Peter and Paul had uh, their conflicts, which Paul describes in his Epistles. And whether or not uh, John is the final chronological gospel. We know that it's most definitely uh, the final gospel in the canon. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then uh, the end of it is John. So at the very end of, of the gospels, you see that despite his weaknesses and his failings, that Peter was ultimately restored fully uh, to the Christian community. And as a side note, uh, this is expressed in Orthodox iconography because in every icon of, of Saints Peter and Paul, they're embracing one another uh, in a spirit of brotherly love and fellowship. That's fascinating, Father. Thank you. Moving on to another question on this passage. Why is Peter referred to here as son of Jonah? Why does Jesus emphasize that here? Well, I, you know, obviously people could logically conclude that Peter's biological father was named Jonah. Uh, but personally, I, I think there's more going on. Uh, as I've highlighted before, I think that names are of the utmost importance in the Bible. And especially when you consider uh, in a circumstance like this that it adds no real value to include uh, Peter's biological father's name. Uh, you know, it was expensive to produce documents like the Bible before the printing press, and so you don't just waste words or uh, throw words uh, that don't add any value or meaning into the text. I always find it interesting when we get into these kind of areas because I don't think most readers of the Bible even stop to think about this type of context, like the fact that there was no printing press and, and the possible implications uh, as that relates to the biblical stories. But in any case, uh, why then do you think the name is included here? Well, to be a son of something uh, means to be uh, of a certain kind. Uh, again, I think I've mentioned this on a, a previous podcast. Uh, but the first thing that comes to mind in English when I think of the phrase uh, son of a, you know, fill in the blank, uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is a swear word that I don't want to use on the, on the podcast. But my point in bringing that up is uh, that it's a word that technically refers uh, to the mother. In this case, most precisely, we know that the word is used to 
technically to describe a, a female dog uh, who, has, who has had puppies. Uh, but when someone uses that phrase, uh, note that they're not actually slamming uh, the person's mom. They're, they're talking about what type of person uh, the so-called son is. So if you say son of a and, you know, fill in the blank, you're actually talking about the son, not the mother. In the case then of son of Jonah, uh, Jesus is talking about Simon Peter himself. He's saying that Simon Peter is like Jonah the prophet. And as you remember about Jonah the prophet, he didn't want to take God's message uh, to his enemies. So God essentially says, fine, you know, I'll throw you into the sea to be swallowed by a great fish, and I'll spit you out on your enemy's land, and that way they'll hear my message from you. And Jesus here is indicating uh, Simon Peter is like Jonah from the Old Testament. Uh, Simon Peter was hesitant to fully accept the Gentiles, to reconcile uh, to the Roman enemies uh, of the Jews, but Jesus is essentially uh, forcing his hand, so to speak, and is going uh, to send him out to do that anyway. Uh, my f final question, Father. Within the Gospels, we have preserved what is only a small fraction of all that Jesus did and taught during his ministry. And John explicitly tells us this as he concludes his Gospel with, But there are also many other things which Jesus did, were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Father, how do the traditions of the Church play a role in the preservation of Christ's teaching beyond what is contained in the Gospels, if at all? Well, let me clarify first that John is, uh, here in that passage you quoted, he's setting a seal, so to speak, on the four Gospels. Uh, that is to say that John is not uh, in any way, shape, or form inviting us to speculate and to ask, you know, what are these other things? Uh, as a matter of fact, at the end of chapter 20, uh, the chapter before this the, uh, from which you read today, he actually explicitly says that, and, and he says, I'll quote here, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Uh, it's the end of the quote. So again, this is not John uh, inviting us or inviting the church to speculate on what else uh, had been done, uh, but rather he's setting a seal on the Gospels. And this is also uh, obvious, again, in the ordering of the canon, uh, with John being the last book of the Gospels. In other words, you know, there's nothing beyond this that you need to know. In terms of the traditions of the church, I like to compare it to the gospel's culture. Uh, I compare it to taking a foreign language, uh, you know, when we're in high school. You know, if you live in America and you take Spanish classes, you learn about Spanish culture and heritage, and you might even get really good uh, at speaking Spanish. Uh, but then when you go to Spain, uh, there will be a lot of uh, things different than what you imagined. Uh, you'll actually have to adjust to the way uh, people there speak Spanish compared to hearing other uh, native English speakers uh, speaking it all the time in, in your classes as their second language. Uh, so you'll get the gist of it by taking Spanish classes, but you'll be surprised by some things when you actually uh, go somewhere where there's a Spanish culture. Uh, and the same can be said in the Orthodox Church. Uh, many years ago, a, a group called the Evangelical Orthodox Church uh, entered into the official Eastern Orthodox Church, and prior to that, you know, they were using the same Bible, even the same texts for their services, uh, reading the same theological books and so forth. But what they found uh, when they arrived at the Orthodox Church was a little different than what they expected. Uh, so to sum it up, uh, the church basically uh, gives you the culture, 
Uh, you might read the Bible by yourself and learn to understand a lot of it, but if you're cut off uh, from a living community, then you'll be missing something. Very interesting discussion, Father. Thank you. In today's episode, Father Aaron began by addressing the significance of the threefold repetition of Jesus' question to Peter, Do you love me? He explained that this repetition restores Peter from his previous threefold denial of Christ. Father also clarified that the reason behind our common threefold repetitions in the Church are not because of the Trinity, but rather it is done to provide a sense of assuredness. In other words, we can know that there is a certainty in our words, that they were not spoken out of carelessness or by accident. When we turn to Jesus' referral to Peter as son of Jonah, which Father Aaron explained as a deliberate comparison of Peter to Jonah the prophet. Like Jonah, who resisted taking God's message to his enemies, Peter also was resistant to Jesus' command to reconcile with his Roman enemies and to accept the Gentiles. In both cases, Jonah and Peter were compelled by God to be obedient. We then closed our discussion of this passage from John by addressing the beloved disciples' conclusion to his gospel. Father stressed that John is not providing us with an invitation to speculate on those things which are not written in the Gospels. Rather, John is setting a seal on the four Gospels. As John writes in chapter 20, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. O our God and our hope, glory to thee.